You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. It just continues. My, oh, my. Rapino sends it in low. Go, U.S. It's Superb's building. You bet. She is unconscious right now. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media here in the middle of the month of August. It's getting hot out there, and that includes some hot playoff races. The preseason continuing for the Seahawks. They got their first preseason game, which you only take so much stock into, you know what I mean? Um, and uh, a bunch of our teams are still playing, and even for the teams that aren't, off-seasons are kind of getting toward their end. So, you know, we're going to continue here. We're going to go right into what we talked about right at the top there with the preseason and the Seahawks. The Seahawks uh, this past Thursday host the Minnesota Vikings at Lumen Field uh, for their first preseason game of three ahead of the 2023 campaign. Uh, they would win that one 24 to 13. They came back to win that one, actually. They were trailing going into the half. Uh, Geno Smith and most of the starters did not see any action whatsoever. Uh, so it was mainly on a bunch of the guys who were looking to prove themselves in a roster spot or uh, really, for some of them, knock the rust off. Uh, in this one, you know, we're going to look straight at some of the statistics. On the offensive side of the ball, Jake Bobo. Jake Bobo has been, uh, outside of the interesting last name, has been getting a lot of attention at training camp and has gotten storylines about whether he can be the fourth wide receiver on the depth chart for this Seahawks team uh, even before the news that we got last week about D. Eskridge. So Bobo had, I mean, again, limited sample size, and this isn't going to mean a ton because there's always that uh, big player in the preseason that fans will get drawn to and then he doesn't end up making the team and so on and so forth. But Bobo put up uh, a nice performance here, helped the Seahawks in their comeback effort uh, and was able to get the three catches again, has pushed uh, D. Eskridge in training camp uh, for that fourth wide receiver spot on the depth chart. Uh, but again, don't want to take too much stock in it. D. Eskridge situation is still being assessed by the team, so on and so forth. Um with the three catches, 55 yards, and one TD for Bobo. On the defensive side of the ball, kind of looked around here to see who stood out from these games, right? Because you, you, there's no real uh, starter that was playing. Devin Bush had some some good tackles in this game, and he got some good reviews. Uh, Army man John Radigan had the most total tackles of this team. Kobe Bryant has switched from cornerback to safety, and he uh, was up there as well. Uh, there was no... Uh, interceptions in this one uh so nothing like that to look at per se um but levi bell uh linebacker pass rusher whatever you'd like to choose i thought had an interesting uh, performance three solo tackles one sack a tackle for loss and three quarterback hits which is the most uh on the team for this game so nice performance by levi bell again these are the games where guys like bell uh like bobo can go out and make that sort of effort uh to get themselves a roster spot really, you know, and go out there, prove themselves, you know, maybe it's depth uh, bottom of the depth chart uh, or, or uh, practice squad, practice squad, the word I'm looking for practice squad for these guys. And maybe they end up making an impact. You know, you look at a guy like Doug Baldwin, Doug Baldwin was an undrafted free agent. He had to work his way on, started with special teams, you know, so stuff like that is where players can make an impact. We look at 
more of these stats here. Jackson Smith and Jigbo is a guy to, uh, guy to kind of keep an eye on. And it was someone I was looking to see more from. Uh, had three catches here in this game for 25 yards. So not, not bad, you know, again, and still playing with some of the backup quarterbacks. Or, yeah, backup quarterbacks. Drew Locke was the guy who started this game for Seattle. Two touchdowns on the game and an interception. Uh, he did get sacked once. The tough part with Drew Locke is there was a lot of excitement about this performance and he did some good things. But through, uh, I believe it's five games that he's played with Seattle, all in total, including preseason, uh, it might or it might just be five preseason games. Drew Locke has five touchdowns and five turnovers. So, you want to take care of the football. That's Pete Carroll's big thing. Um, but he's still a serviceable backup, and that's all you really need him to be. Uh, Holton Ehlers had an interesting game. He only threw four passes. He completed all four of them, four, three yards, and a touchdown. But he was the team's second leading rusher in this game behind Brian Kobach out of Toledo. Um, Ehlers had six carries for 26 yards and a long of 22. So uh, interesting there. Zach Charbonnet, he only got four carries for 14 yards, but was getting some good reviews there. Physical bruising back that had been talked about um, in this offseason when he was drafted. So that was something to keep an eye on. It was a little bit scary um, in this ballgame as we move over uh, from the game discussion itself and kind of talk about injuries and team-related things. Um, at, during that game, Kay Johnson, a wide receiver, uh, in his second year with the team, was transported purited, ported to Harborview Medical Center to be evaluated for head and neck injuries, but he was in stable condition. He was released from the hospital the following day, uh, but is in concussion protocol. So good to hear that the hospital stay was more of a precautionary measure than anything else. Uh, we look at team-related news uh, and roster, of course. Again, I talked about it last week with training camp coming around. It's going to be roster moves, guys up and down, the same names here and there. On the 8th, the team signed defensive end Jordan Ferguson and waived cornerback Andrew Whitaker with an injury designation. On the 9th, the team signed nose tackle Anthony Montalva uh, and waived outside linebacker Josh Onunogju. Um, there was a news about Kate Johnson, of course, that I mentioned. And then on August 12th, the team signed wide receiver Rashawn Henry, who you can see pictured on your screen, and waived nose tackle Robert Cooper. That is about it for the Seahawks again. It's. It was very interesting. We talked about it, I want to say it was last year, but it might have been two years ago. I think it was two years ago where the team uh, had Case and Williams at the University of Washington really burst out in the preseason, have great games, and then he was a part of roster cuts. And people, it was, it was, uh, there was not happy reactions when it came to him getting released. So, yeah, so on and so forth. Again, it'll be interesting if Jake Bobo is able to continue this performance, uh, again, from training camp into the games. Uh, and he's got his second chance to do so when the Seahawks host their second and last hosting preseason game. They'll go on the road for their third one. Uh, August 19th at home at Lumen Field versus the Dallas Cowboys. That is a 7 o'clock Pacific time start. Again, it'll be interesting not only to see the performances of guys who have been standouts in training camp, uh, we also we probably won't see um, much of the starters at all, maybe a drive or so. But um, it's I imagine Pete Carroll and the Seahawks, especially with the three preseason games as opposed to the four, uh, will be getting in a lot of the guys that they want to get looks at, the backups, the reserves, guys that are not at the top of the uh, depth chart. So. Head over now to the Seattle Mariners. Now, 
the past series in particular across this five-game homestand uh, got a lot of interesting reactions after it ended. So we'll get to that. But it did start positively, as you'll see here with the broom. Uh, the Mariners completed a two-game sweep of the San Diego Padres. Uh, August 8th versus the Padres, a 2 to nothing win. Our player of the game, uh, pictured in this photo of the game by Matthew Bermudez, uh, Logan Gilbert, Logan uh, going into his Walter alter ego for this game, seven innings pitched, one hit allowed, no runs, no walks, and 12 strikeouts. It's a career high in strikeouts for Logan. Uh, just an all-around strong effort. It was a not-so successful game on the offensive side um, of the ball for the Mariners. But again, this is something that you kind of come to expect with this team. Um, and the Padres do have some some quality pitching on their staff as well. So it's not like this was uh, a dis- a too much of a disappointment. Obviously, again, you'd like to go out and do well on offense considering how poor this team has done in general. Um, but all in all, again, not too shabby. Could have been worse. Uh, Logan Gilbert in that game became the first right-handed pitcher to strike out Juan Soto three times in a game. Uh, Juan Soto did have a golden sombrero in that game. If you don't know, golden sombrero is four strikeouts by a singular player uh, across the stretch of one game. And then I'm trying to find another piece of history there uh, for Logan Gilbert because Logan was rock solid in this game. Um, I will go back here. do 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 well, this is 13th quality start of the season. Uh, it's the seventh time in franchise history a starter had an outing with seven innings plus no runs, one or fewer hits, and 10 strikeouts being the last uh, to do so. Vinaldunio in 2015. Uh, I'm trying to find there was one about Felix. Shoot, shoot. See if I can find it here. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, all right, here it is. Um, it was... That outing was only the second performance in team history of 10-plus strikeouts, no walks, with one or fewer hits allowed. Only two times that's been done. The other one to do it, Felix Hernandez, who the Mariners were honoring that weekend. So we'll get to that weekend in a second. August 9th versus the Padres to complete the sweep, a 6-1 to win. Some more offense there. Uh, play of the game, catcher Cal Raleigh. Cal, two hits, one run, and two RBIs. Cal hit a two-run homer late to help the Mariners kickstart a, a big insurance blast of runs in the late innings. Our photo of the game here by Liz Walter captures Julio Rodriguez going around the bases. Julio uh, being scored by Cal on the two-run homer, showing some excitement there. So uh, it was fun in that one to see the expression. Uh, but also, if we go back here to this game two of the series, two-game set, uh, Emerson Hancock made his major league debut. Five innings pitch, two hits, one earned run, three walks, and three strikeouts. Obviously, I want to work on the walks there, but five innings, two hits, not not bad whatsoever from a guy who's getting called up from double-A. That makes it the third pitching prospect that the Mariners have called up this season in terms of the starting rotation behind Bryce Miller, Brian Wu, and now Emerson. Um, so a strong performance there overall in that two-game set against the Padres, uh, both standing uh, at the pitching standpoint you know, game one, you would like to score more than two runs. Um, but, you know, Logan Gilbert, Emerson Hancock, and then the bullpen as well were big. Uh, the three big stars for the Padres in Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr., um, and Juan Soto, and you can include Xander Bogarts, but it's not as fun, um, went over 22, I believe it was, in that game. And Soto had four strikeouts in that game. So, oh, across those two games. So, yeah, that was uh, nice to 
take care of business. The Mariners take the Vetter Cup this year. Uh, they had a day off on Thursday before they welcomed the best team in the American League, the Baltimore Orioles, to town. Um, and things started off well in game one of the three-game series. They would win the August 11th contest 9-2. to Our play of the game center fielder, Julio Rodriguez. Julio, two hits, one run, and four RBIs in this game. Uh, just unfortunate that uh, they really weren't able to continue it. But the big, big performance on offense really kind of they jumped all over Kyle Gibson um, for Baltimore, uh, and the pitching was strong once again. So you thought, okay, you know, it's probably unlikely that you go and put up the same sort of offensive production in game two, let alone the rest of the series. And that would be true. You can see on your screen, game two, they would lose that one on the 12th, uh, zero to one. Our play of the game, well, before I get to play of the game, uh, that was Felix's induction ceremony. King Felix was inducted as the 11th member of the Mariners Hall of Fame here in this photo by Liv Lyons, getting his Hall of Fame jacket for the franchise uh, being put on by the great Ken Griffey Jr. Um, a very emotional uh, day there. You know, one of the most beloved Mariners of all time. Spent all 15 years of his career here. Uh, you know, never really got enough support uh, from his team around him, which is in by no means his fault. Uh, and then Felix is an emotional guy. Anyway, he started crying as soon as he came out of the, uh, out of the bullpen in the left field, uh, when they introduced him. So, uh, all very deserved though. All of these, all of this, uh, sort of fan fest and fanfare, uh, throughout the weekend for Felix is very, very well-earned. So, uh, that was before the game. The game itself was unfortunate. The Mariners would, uh, get runners on base. They just weren't able to score them. They went 0 for 10 with runners in scoring position. They lose this game and they waste an excellent performance by our player of the game, pitcher George Kirby. Uh, Kirby, as seen in this photo of the game by Liv Lyons, nine innings pitch. Yes, he pitched all nine innings. So if the Mariners had given him any run support whatsoever, he would have had a complete game. Three hits allowed, no runs, no walks, and seven strikeouts. So in George Kirby, typical form, he doesn't give up a walk. The three hits he allowed were all on their own individual time, so they never uh, really threatened. Uh, the, the Orioles never really threatened against George Kirby, and George was masterful, absolutely masterful. It's the second time that Kirby has gone eight innings plus, eight scoreless innings Um and hasn't gotten any run support, which is very, again, very frustrating. Uh, again, three of this series we're going to talk about frustrating here. Well, well, I guess it's time to put the photo on the screen. Uh, Scott Service being ejected in this ball game and showing some frustration with third base umpire Adam Beck, uh, who called a balk call on Andres Munoz, uh, which would later play in an, a, a role in Jorge Mateo scoring the uh, go-ahead run in the top of the ninth uh, for Baltimore, he would get ejected for arguing that call. Uh, Manny Acta would take over as acting manager. The Mariners would lose this game three to five. Our player of the game, right fielder Dominic Canzone. Canzone only had one hit on the day, but it was an important one. One hit, one run, one RBI. Canzone hit an absolute tank shot of a homer into right field off the former hit it here, Cafe Glass. Um, just an at bat after Ty France had potentially hit the game-tying home run, but was robbed by Cedric Mullins. So all of the emotion went down and went back up when Kenzon hit that homer. Uh, we go into 10 innings. Uh, Cedric Mullins hits a two-run homer to right field, and the Mariners aren't able to respond. So they would lose that series 2-1 uh, to one to the Baltimore Orioles to close out that homestand with a 3-3 three and three record. Wait. 3-2 and two record over the five games. I can count. I promise. Our player of the week, I mean... 
offense wasn't really too spectacular. Uh, and with the sort of performance that George has uh, had in this game and kind of has had all season, I had to go with George. I mean, you know, that that nine inning game uh, to go out there and he was efficient, too. It's not like he was pumping into the high 100s or, or mid 100s or low 100s with his outing. George uh, was able to be efficient with his pitches and thus was able to go deep, deep, deep into the ball game. Um, and he's had a great year. Uh, his, his three war, a 10 and 8 record, a 3 and 11 ERA, um, 131 strikeouts, and a 1.002 whip. Now we'll want to see where he stacks up actually um, on the Mariners in terms of, oh, shoot. Well, get this going here uh, in terms of war because he's pretty high on this list. Um, let's see. Where is he? Yeah, he's third on the list in total war and is a pitcher behind J.P. Crawford and Julio Rodriguez. Um, so very, very valuable to this team and what they're doing. I get it. You know, you should have won games two and three and should have had a sweep of the Baltimore Warriors, the best team in all of the American League. Um, not all of baseball, the American League. Um these are games you should have won. Yes, you should have swept the homestand. I get that. The the eight-game winning streak would end uh, in game two against the Orioles. Uh, you're now a game and a half back of the Toronto Blue Jays for that last wildcard spot. But it's not like the world has ended. The reaction to this game uh, from a lot of the fan base was essentially that this was the worst thing ever and that the, you know, the season was over and that they squandered the biggest opportunity of all time. The Mariners very well can get back into that playoff spot that they, uh, they had um, the day of that second game of the Baltimore series. And they've got the rest of the month of August. Now I say that and I'm, I'm knock on wood optimistic about it because when we look at the Mariners schedule, with that road trip that begins today in Kansas City against the Royals. The Royals, who are, by the way, the second-worst team in all of baseball record-wise. The Mariners will go on the road now for 10 games, uh, and then we'll get to the, the, the homestand um, after that 10-game road trip because it's beneficial as well. Uh, and this is granted that the Mariners take care of business, which they need to. They, they played great, focused baseball on for a good amount, um, of this series against the Orioles, just weren't able to put up enough runs, which is something we've been talking about for the entirety of the season. But they play four games against the Kansas City Royals, again, who have the third win up, second worst record in all of baseball behind the Oakland Athletics. They go on the road to play the Houston Astros for three games over the course of the weekend, which I knock on wood again because they have been good against Houston this year. And then they close out that road trip with three games against the White Sox, who have been the third worst team by record in all of baseball. So that's a big opportunity on this road trip. Arguably, over the course of the road trip, over the course of the 10 games, you should win seven of those games, right? And then they close out. They get a day off on the 24th after that road trip ends. They have a five-game series to close out the month of August, a five-game homestand. Uh, to lose the month of August, three against those Royals that we talked about. Again, second worst record in all of baseball. And then they host the Oakland Athletics for three games, and they're the worst record in all of baseball. So you're playing the three worst teams record-wise in all of baseball from today to the 30th of August. It's a it's five, 10, 15, 15 games over the 16 days that you can insert yourself back into the playoff picture and 
you know, hold yourself there as opposed to just being a half game in. So I really don't think it's that, you know, big dramatic problem that a lot of people are making it. Mariners Twitter is its own issue. Mariner, I'm not going to call it X. Um, it does suck. Well, we'll have to get to the injury news first before we build anything else. Uh, you're missing a player that you're going to need um, throughout that Houston series for sure. But, uh, you know, it's it's the offense as a whole needs to step up. Uh, over the course of that eight-game winning streak, you'll see that all of that was the players that have been here already. And what have I talked about the entire season so far is that this team, if they're going to make a push, if they're going to do anything successful this season, it's going to be internal. It's going to be the guys that they already have here flipping the switch. And that's what we've seen to a large extent. Julio's picked things up. Eugenio's picked things up. Cal Raleigh's been hitting the ball well, you know. So it's got to be internal, and it has been. But, you know, with the last two losses, you don't want to let those compound and then struggle for the receivers. Since July 1st began, you've been solid, really solid offensively. You need to continue that, especially or the fortunate stretch that you're going to have to close out the month of August. So we get into injury-related news here. On the 8th, the team placed right-handed pitcher Brian Wu on the 15-day injured list with right forearm inflammation. Uh, that is why Emerson Hancock had to come up and make his major league debut. The Mariners had been talking about a six-man rotation uh, before the news about Wu being injured as to monitor the innings of both Wu and Bryce Miller. Uh, but now with Hancock up, that kind of takes that out of the equation. It's not out of the picture that we see that later, uh, as it was talked about that uh, Emerson Hancock was supposed to join this rotation at some point this year. They had planned to get him big league uh, innings, uh, and now he'll do so. So the injury that I was talking about right there at the end of the you know overall series discussion was that on August 11th, uh, shortstop J.P. Crawford was placed on the seven-day injured list with a concussion. It was suffered uh, on the ninth against the Padres in game two of that series. Both J.P. and Eugenio Suarez uh, went for a ground ball in their general direction. They both went for it. There was no call off. Uh, and J.P.'s head collided with uh, uh, Eugenio's shoulder. Um, had him down on the ground for a bit. He played in for a few more innings, uh, but ultimately decided, hey, I feel horrible. I shouldn't keep going. Uh, he seemed in good spirits when we saw him on the clubhouse on the 11th, um, but he is on the uh, the seven-day IL. The most, uh, not the most, the closest day, the first day that he can come back is the fourth game against the Royals there on the 17th. That is the series finale against Kansas City. I wouldn't doubt that the Mariners hold him out till the first game of the series against the Astros the next day. Uh, just because, again, they should be able to handle business against the Royals. So we look over here, and the third and final sort of injury uh, update that we got here was that on August 13th, left-handed pitcher Marco Gonzalez will be out for the rest of the season. He confirmed uh, before the game on the 13th. Uh, it isn't going to be a long, long recovery. Uh, according to Marco, it's a clean-out procedure, much shorter than a repair procedure like a tendon repair. Uh, Tommy John being that sort of thing, that was the big worry that it wasn't Tommy John surgery. Uh, Marco expects to be able to go through his normal ramp-up procedure uh, and is planning and should be good to go uh, for the regular start to spring training. Marco is diagnosed with an anterior enterosius nerve AIN syndrome, uh, in anterior enteriosis nerve syndrome, a rare, less than 1% uh, 
uh, of all cases, syndrome that is associated with overuse injuries, but is not heavily documented amongst Major League Baseball pitchers. Uh, NAIN syndrome, the nerve that controls pronation for one's wrist and finger, uh, which is obviously then pretty important for a pitcher, uh, is compressed and requires surgery to relieve the pressure on that nerve. The last that we got a few days ago in a injury update uh, from Mariners manager Justin Hollander is that they were they still hadn't been able to take the pressure off of that nerve. Uh, so they're going to go out, clean that out, uh, and Marco should be ready by the start of tra- uh, spring training next season. So uh, there are some roster moves that have come as a result uh, of these moves, these injuries. On the eighth, Ryder Ryan, right-handed pitcher, uh, now in the bullpen, was recalled from AAA Tacoma. Right-handed pitcher Ryan Jensen was claimed off of waivers from the Chicago Cubs. And right-handed pitcher Matt Fessa was designated for assignment. He did clear waivers, and he is now a free agent. On the 11th, um, infielder slash outfielder Sam Haggerty was recalled from AAA Tacoma as a uh, corresponding move to the J.P. Crawford injury. Uh, Haggerty, since being sent down, had bat 319, a 319 batting average through 42 games with the Rainiers, which is pretty good. Um, so... We look ahead. The Mariners have a 63-win, 54-loss record uh, at this current point in time. Third in the American League West. Six and a half games back from the top of the division where the Texas Rangers currently sit. And a game and a half back from the wild card where the Toronto Blue Jays Jays sit. Uh, Their next four games, as I mentioned, starting today against the Kansas City Royals, August 14th through 16th, are all 5-10 Pacific time starts. That sounds a little bit odd. I'm going to double check that, but I'm pretty sure that is correct. Um, oh, shoot. Uh, yes, all three of those games are 5-10 starts, and then the series finale on the 17th is an 11-10 a.m. start. Uh, then, as I mentioned, after that Royal Series, they head down to Houston for three games. August 18th is a 5-10 start. August 19th is a 5-4-10 start. And then August 20th is a 10-05 a.m. start on Sunday to close out that three-game series against the Houston Astros. So the Mariners, again, have a very, very fortunate sort of schedule to work through. Um, hmm. So, yeah, it's a very fortunate schedule, as I mentioned. It's really just thinking about it. They have to execute. The offense has to be able to get on base and then drive in the traffic that they've been able to cause because the pitching has been excellent all season long. So we will look over here. Sorry. Uh, To the Seattle Storm, who hosted, uh, they started a 3 well, the first three games of a four-game homestand, I'm stumbling a little bit here. First three games of a four-game homestand here at Climate Pledge Arena started with the Connecticut Sun, a loss 69 to 81. Very unfortunate uh, because it's not like the storm played horrible. Uh, they started off well, and then things kind of fell apart after a big second quarter for the Sun. Uh, you'll see our photo of the game here by Chris Liu. Our play of the game uh, in this August 8th loss, center Ezzy Magbagor. Ezzy, 10 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists, and 2 blocks. Uh, so a tough one there to begin the homestand snaps. Uh, there was no winning streak because the Storm had gone down to Phoenix and beat the Mercury 
before this home game started, so they weren't able to make it two in a row. August 10th, though, the Storm would get back into the win column, uh, beating the Atlanta Dream with a fiery comeback. Uh, it was a physical game throughout the first three quarters, lots of fouls. Seattle had really shot the ball poorly, and Atlanta hadn't shot the ball much better. Uh, but a big, big comeback in the fourth quarter, including seven minutes of holding Atlanta uh, scoreless, uh, meant that the Storm were able to get back in this game, and they win it by a point. Our play of the game, once again, as Magbagor, 17 points, 11 rebounds, two assists, one steal, and two blocks. And just because she's our play of the game doesn't mean that someone else didn't have a great game. As you can see here in this photo by Matthew Bermudez, Jewel Lloyd had a uh, a nice and important impact down the stretch for this Storm team, including a big three-pointer and one, as you can see in this photo here, and then a driving layup uh, and one, two, wait, yes, no. Well, at least the driving layup uh, gave the Storm their first lead of the game. Uh, so that was the first win. The second win in a row for the Storm was against those Phoenix Mercury that they played a few games ago on WNBA rivalry night. Um our storm would come out victorious 81 to 71. A nice first half for the storm in this one. A little bit of a lull in the third quarter, which we have unfortunately seen throughout the course of the season. Uh, but they were able to pick things up, turn them around, uh, and close this game out in the fourth quarter. Our play of the game guard, Jewel Lloyd. Jewel, 24 points, five rebounds, and two assists. Uh, and our photo of the game here by Liz Walter. Uh, Ezzy, another great game. It was her birthday that day. She turned 24 uh, 24 years old. I must have 24 points. Not correct. Uh, all this talk about Ezzy. She is our player of the week. Ezzy, over the course of the past three games, 14.6 points per game, eight rebounds per game, two assists per game, one steal, uh, and 2.3 blocks per game on the uh, past week of game three game set um, to begin a four-game homestand. So, um, it's very interesting to see that the storm team has won five of their last seven. Um, their second half has been good. If we measured just the second half, they'd be in a playoff spot, but it's not how that works. Um, they're doing all this. We'll get to these two pieces of news and you already saw a little bit of it, but they're doing this without some key players that, you know, played significant roles throughout the first half. Well, one of them played a significant role through the first half of the season. The other had just been fighting her stride. Um, and what you're seeing here, it's, it's very good to see the development of some of these young players, what we talked about at the beginning of the season and through the course of the season, Jordan Horson is back in the starting lineup. Uh, Jade Melbourne's getting uh, important minutes and has been entrusted with those down the stretch. So uh, that, that's important for this team. Dulce has been starting for a while now. So, a lot of that draft class is really factoring in, funny enough, uh, after the Storm really haven't had a rookie on their team the last few years. So it's important to see them make this uh, progress. They're doing better in the paint as of lately. Got to work on the turnovers. That's not been so great. Uh, they shot over 50% from the field in that win over the Mercury. So positive building blocks. Positive building blocks in the next season is what I'm looking for from the Storm throughout the rest of the year. And they're doing that so far. You know, there are going to be moments where they lapse, sure. But... It's encouraging to see, and it makes it more fun, you know. So we look here. Uh, the injury report versus the Sun was clean, but during that game uh, in the second quarter, Gabby Williams left the game with a left foot injury. It would be announced the next day that she suffered a left foot fracture and will miss four to six weeks, effectively ending her season as the Storm close out the regular season on September 10th. So unfortunate to have lost Gabby to injury here. Uh, 
Uh, she had dealt with a concussion with her team in France before she joined the Storm this season. Um, so it's not really been a good physical year for Gabby. Sheesh. And it's also unfortunate, too, because she had just been finding her stride on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but she has been around the last two games to support her teammates, which is very nice. Um, the injury report versus the Dream and Mercury would be clean outside of Williams. She will be on the injury report for the rest of the year, but uh, it's not like she's going to be able to play. On the 10th of August, the team released point guard Ivana Dojkic, allowing her to begin preparations for her upcoming season of competition in Europe, which is interesting. Dojkic hadn't been getting very many minutes in the weeks prior to this announcement, um, and it sounded like this was not something that the Storm were aware of, this overseas commitment, um, and so it opens up a roster spot. It hasn't been filled yet. The Storm haven't decided to fill that out yet. Uh, when asked about it, it sounded like they're happy with the group that they currently have, but I wouldn't doubt that Seattle goes out and kicks the tires on a player um, down the course of the rest of the season. So we're down to the last nine games of the regular season for the Storm. They sit at a nine-win, 21-loss record, 10th in the league, uh, 5th in the Western Conference. Looking ahead, they close out this four-game homestand with a battle against the Minnesota Lynx. Minnesota, a team that struggled heavily to begin the season but has now found themselves um, much, much better um, at this current point in time. I believe they sit in a playoff spot. Their next game, August 18th versus Minnesota, a 7 p.m. Pacific time uh, tip-off. That is on ION. And then game two of this upcoming week, first game on the road, um, is also against the Minnesota Lynx on August 20th. Uh, that's a 4 o'clock start. That is on NB w uh, yes, NBA TV and Amazon Prime Video if you are in the state of Washington. We're going to move over here. We've got, these are almost like non-updates. Nothing going on with our Sounders over the course of the past week. Uh, some players are getting back into training, which is positive, but we won't you know, have for sure updates um, until we get closer to match day. Match day uh, for the Sounders next is August 20th versus Atlanta United with a 7.30 p.m. start. That is a 7.30 p.m. start there at Lumen Field. Uh, as the Sounders, after getting booted out, of the league's cup uh after a loss to monterey um and struggling since the month of may really to find footing in their regular season play we'll get back to that regular season play when they host atlanta united uh, in the same sort of vein not well nothing going on with the kraken nothing going on with the rain here um as they have a little bit of a break their next matchup though is on august 18th when they head out on the road and they also resume nwsl regular season play august 18th at the kansas city current with a 5 p.m. Pacific time start time, uh, the rain will get back to action. Um, a bunch of players will be getting, well, all of the rain players are back from the World Cup, but uh, it's unsure when the players from Team USA uh, and Team Canada will be ready to get back into game action. Just Fishlock should be ready for the August 18th game, but that's not a certainty. Uh, we're going to close out this team-related section uh, with the Seattle Seawolves. This morning, actually, the Seawolves made a trade. They acquired back row Devin Short from the NOLA Gold. In the trade, the NOLA Gold acquired uh, salary considerations and the 11th overall pick in this year's collegiate draft. So uh, the Seawolves opt to not go ahead and add to their younger reserves, uh, and they get Devin Short. Now, this is an interesting trade. Uh, NOLA 
it's kind of been all over the place in terms of where they've been at this season. Uh, Devin Short had some high praise uh, from head coach and director of rugby, Alan Clarkie Clark. Uh, while at NOLA, he earned his 50th MLR cap, and he was the Gold's forward of the year back in 2021. He did go to college to play football, but ended up playing rugby. He explained that rugby gave me the opportunity to run the ball, make tackles. I got to lose the patch, which I always thought hindered me. So, hate to each their own. Um Coach Clark said that once the opportunity to sign a young American player of Devin's quality and ambition became apparent, it was easy uh, to move quickly. He's dynamic with the skill sets and mindset to be a standout player in the MLR. Uh, so, again, he sounded very excited there um, to add Devin Short. He is 25, 6'3", 220 pounds out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, he had participated in the next Olympic hopeful project in the U S Olympic training center and did win that he was then selected for the USA Falcons South American tour to the Punta del Este sevens and the Vica del Mar sevens while he was training in Chula Vista short caught the attention of the San Diego Legion joining the team back in 2018. He spent three seasons there and was traded to NOLA in 2021. So welcome to Seattle, Devin short. I'm going to close things out here with our star of the week. And just because of her consistent performance and how she's really been able to step into her role this season as the secondary scorer and Seattle's second best player, uh, Ezzy Magbagor also celebrated her birthday yesterday, her 24th birthday. She is the third youngest player on this Storm team, and she's been in the league, uh, I think, four years now, which is somewhat remarkable. So Ezzy, again, we talked about her her stats over the course of the past week, has been... Um, Big for Seattle as Jewel Lloyd, outside of this last game against the Mercury, uh, Jewel Lloyd has kind of struggled to find an efficient shooting form. Um, and as he's one of these leaders now, which is funny because she's been one of the younger players on this team. She had a great start to the year last season before the Storm added Tina Charles and put her into the lineup kind of stunting that development that she had going on. But now it's been as he's starting job through the course of the year. And she's going to be a big role uh, in this team going forward, whether or not they are able to bring back Jewel Lloyd or not uh, this current offseason. So until we see you next week, uh, we're going to be, wow, late into August. I hope it's going to cool down, but I've been told it's going to be very hot for the next few th three days. So uh, the Seahawks will continue their preseason next week, hosting the Dallas Cowboys here at Lumen Field. The Mariners are going to be on the road uh, again. They've got to take care of business. They have a very fortunate end of August that they have to take advantage of. The Storm are going to continue their regular season in the last nine uh, games of the regular season for them. Uh, the Sounders get back to action. The Rain get back to action. We're getting closer and closer to Kraken uh, training camp. So hockey's coming back soon. Um, the Seawolves are in their offseason. All in all, take care of yourselves. Be well and do whatever you can to make today a great day. Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.